I want you to take your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you have, I want you to stand. And I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to call your attention to verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's a, it's a wonderful work, verse of Scripture. This is what 1 Peter 3 and 7 says. It says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I want to talk to you about eight ways to honor your wife. Eight ways to honor your wife. I travel and preach a lot, and years ago uh, I was preaching in West Virginia. And when I travel and preach in a place, I try to find out what is in that area. What is in that area that would be interesting to see while I'm there? And I was actually preaching in a place called Grafton, West Virginia. Most of you have probably never been to Grafton, West Virginia. But it's a unique place because the lady, Anna Jarvis, the lady who started Mother's Day was from Grafton, West Virginia. And I remember going to her home and doing some research and looking at how Mother's Day actually began. Anna Jarvis had a mom who literally was just a hardworking lady. And when she died in 1908, Anna Jarvis said they ought to be a day to honor mothers. And literally from 1908 to 1914, she worked tirelessly so we could have a Mother's Day, just a day set aside to honor mothers. You know what's so interesting? I thought this was interesting. The lady who started Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis, was never a mother herself. She actually never had children, not, not one. But she was the lady that was responsible for starting this day that we celebrate and honor our moms. And certainly moms ought to be honored. As I was researching, I ran across this. It said uh, some second graders. Now, keep in mind when I'm sharing this, second graders were asked some questions about mothers. This is what the second graders were asked. Why did God make mothers? Why did God make mothers? The answer was to help us out of there when we were getting born. What ingredients are mothers made of? God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. <laughs> Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? God knew she would like me a lot more than other people's moms would like me. Who is the boss at your house? Mom is. She doesn't want to be, but she has to because dad is such a goofball. <laughs> what is the difference between moms and dads? Moms work at work and work at home. Dads just go to work and work. 
What would make your mom perfect? On the inside, she's already perfect. On the outside, some type of plastic surgery. <laughs> if you could change one thing, the second graders were asked, if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? I would like her to get rid of those invisible eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> you know, folks, as I started thinking about moms and started thinking about Mother's Day and this special day and preparing this message, you know what? I wanted to take a, a different approach. Because, see, I understand today's a special day, but I also understand today's a very difficult day for a lot of people. Today's a difficult day because do you realize one out of every six women can't have children? One out of every six women would like to have children. My wife went years and years and years and wanted to have a baby, and I always dreaded Mother's Day. And certainly I didn't dread it as much as she did, but she couldn't have children. So in light of that, I realized that Mother's Day can be difficult. But I'll tell you something else. Everybody didn't have a Proverbs 31 mother. Did you ever think about that? Perhaps you've got a Proverbs 31 mother just to epitomize his motherhood and a wonderful example, personifies Christian values, but everybody didn't have that. And I'll tell you something else. Mother's Day can be difficult because some people have lost their mom. And perhaps this year is a difficult time because mom's, uh, mom's not around I was reading a book by David Chadwick, and uh, the book by David Chad Chadwick was The Leadership Principles of Dean Smith, and I've always believed what Charles Tremendous Jones said, tell me what you're reading and who you're associating with, and I'll tell you where you'll be five years from now. Just tell me what you're reading and who you're associating with, and I'll tell you where you'll be five years from now. And I learned a long time ago that leaders are readers. And I read this book, and I very much enjoyed the book, and I thought, I wonder if this guy... David Chadwick has any other books because I enjoy him and I want to read if he has any other books. And I found out he had another book. And this was the book, Eight Ways to Honor Your Wife. Eight Ways to Honor Your Wife. And I read the book. And I thought, this is good. And I want to share some of these principles. I thought, this will be good. This will help the people. And it's also biblical because the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 7, Likewise, you husbands, give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And you know, folks, we get caught up on that weaker vessel, but you know what that actually means, that weaker vessel? It means a priceless vase. It's a delicate piece of pottery. It's like porcelain. And the Bible very much teaches us that we're to treat our wives like a delicate vase like a piece of porcelain. She is the weaker vessel, but she's to be honored. And I read Chadwick's book. It's not original with me. I read the book, and I thought, I want to share those eight ways with our people because they're all biblical. He's a pastor who wrote the book. They're all biblical of eight ways in which we should honor our wives because certainly that's biblical. Let me give them to you right quickly. He said the first way to honor your wife is to honor her intuition. <laughs> honor, her intuition. <laughs> honor, her intuition. <laughs> honor her intuition. 
her intuition. You say, Pastor Benny, what, what does that actually mean? It really just means this, folks. It means to trust her gut. <laughs> it means to trust her gut. And you know, if you think about this, folks, it's very biblical because if you read Matthew 27 and 19, you remember what Pilate's wife said to Pilate? I've been warned, Pilate. <laughs> this man, Jesus, is a good man. You don't need to do him any harm. You don't need to do him any harm. You, you, you better listen to me, Pilate. And see, here's what's amazing. That woman had an intuition that came from God. Now, this is what I believe. You may not, somebody said, you may not believe what Brother Benny believes, but after hearing him preach, you'll believe he believes what he believes. <laughs> Women have an intuition that men just don't have. They have an intuition that, for the most part, in a general way, men just don't have. I remember 27 years ago when I became the pastor of Rock Springs Church, 27 years ago, that's a long time, folks. My wife's saying to me, I believe it's the Lord's will. I believe you found the Lord's will. Maybe the Lord's will's found you. you. You're in the Lord's will. But I remember her looking at me and saying, if you go, these are the problems you're going to encounter. 27 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, and she was prophetic what Barbara said to me, you're going to encounter if you go, is just what I encountered. What I'm saying to me, and you better not brush it off. You better, you, you, you better not brush it off. You better, oh, it's quiet this morning, but you can't sow seed when it's windy. <laughs> you, 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 you better not brush it off. You better honor her intuition. Barbara said to me through the years, you, you better watch that lady. You, you, you better watch that. Has she ever been wrong? Not one time. Oh, that's nothing. Knowing most of the time she was right. <laughs> How can we honor our wives? We honor them through honoring their intuition. Let me give you step number two. <laughs> Second way to honor your wife is to be a man of God. See, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be a man of God. You know, I, my, my voice is not real strong. reason why my voice is not real strong, my daughter graduated Friday from Vanderbilt, and I've been rejoicing. I was hollering and screaming when they called her name, and she thought it was over her getting that degree. She didn't know it was over me getting a pay raise. That was what I was screaming over. <laughs> and Barbara said to me, she said, you know, Benny, you've been a good daddy. I said, I hope I have. She said, you've been a good daddy. And she said, you've been especially good when I realized you never had a daddy. I didn't have a daddy, folks, but I had an example. I had an example because Jesus Christ is the example for every one of us. Jesus Christ is the example for every one of us. 1 Timothy 2 and 8 says this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, 
Lifting holy hands without wrath and without doubting. You want to be a man of God? Get that verse right there, folks. Men, just, just put that. That will take care of everything. You just memorize that verse and you'll, you apply that verse to your life. It'll take care of the man of God. Because think about that verse. That verse teaches us that we need to be a praying man. That verse teaches us that, that, that we need to be a praying man. You know what a wife wants to know? A wife wants to know that a husband's not just arbitrarily making decisions, but he's praying and he's seeking God. That verse teaches me that I need to be a praying man. That verse teaches me that I need to be a praising man. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands. Let me tell you something, folks. That, that husband, he needs to bring that family to church. And you don't need to sit in church, folks, like you're bored out of your skull. Like somebody whipped you and made you come. No, you need to be a praying man. You need to be a praising man. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands. You need to be a pure man. <laughs> Not only, folks, that verse takes care of it all. You need to be a praying man. You need to be a praising man. You need to be a pure man. But you need to be a peacemaking man. <laughs> I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands without wrath and dissension. I love what Ruth Graham said. She said, best marriages are made of two great forgivers. Best marriages are made of two great forgivers. How can I honor my wife? You honor her intuition. You be a man of God. Let me tell you the third way you honor your wife. Encourage her gifts. Encourage her gifts. Now, I have a lot of room for improvement in this area. But 1 Peter 4 and 10 says this, As every man or woman hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. This is what I know. God's put a special gift in this in every woman. God's put a special gift in this in every woman. And that husband ought to encourage her in whatever her gifts are. You know, I'm in my 50s, and a while back, early 50s, by the way, <laughs> a while back, Barbara said, I want us to start bringing children into our home, babies into our homes, and I want us to keep babies. I thought, mercy. You know, sometimes you talk with somebody and you say, how'd you rest last night? And they say, oh, I slept like a baby. Those people never had a baby, amen? <laughs> I thought, here I am, 50 years old, wanting to bring babies into this old gray-headed man's home. But last Sunday, folks, last Sunday, true story, last Sunday here at Rock Springs Church, we dedicated Chipper and Taylor Jones baby. His name's Cutler Ridge. And they was down in my office, and that baby was pitching a fit. And to be honest with you, it was getting on my nerves. <laughs> and Chipper couldn't do anything with a baby. You'd think he'd be an expert with as many children as he got. He couldn't do anything with a baby. And Taylor couldn't do anything with a baby. And Barbara comes in, and she grabs that baby up, Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> Rip Van Winkle. And then we go to eat lunch. And I'm trying to eat lunch. 
And the baby pitches a fit again. And the mother can't do anything with the baby. And the grandmother can't do anything with the baby. And Barbara grabs the baby out of it. Out of it. See, I, I realized something. That's her giftedness. That's her giftedness. I'm, I'm going to start making her come to every service. And every baby that cries, go get him, Barb, go get him, Barb. <laughs> I'm kidding. But here's what I'm saying. What our responsibility is to do is to encourage whatever your wife, your wife's giftedness may not be small children, whatever your wife's giftedness, we're to encourage her in it. He said the fourth thing we can uh, honor our wives and respect her opinion. <laughs> respect her opinion. You know, I truly believe this. When we don't listen to our wives, men, we miss 50% of what God's trying to tell us. And the women said, amen. <laughs> Friend, I'm, I'm not saying you always do what your wife says. But I am saying this. I think it's very biblical for you to respect her opinion. Respect her opinion. He said the fifth way that you honor your wife is you ask this question often. And this is the question he said you need to ask your wife often. How is your heart? How is your heart? Matthew 12 and 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He said, make sure you take time to ask your wife, how's your heart? And I really believe what he's saying here, is there a problem I need to know about? Because I want to deal with it while it's a small problem. Because even in the Song of Solomon, it says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. I want to deal with it while it's a small problem before it becomes a big problem. June the 25th, 2002, Barbara and I went to focus on the family. I remember going in to focus on the family and asking James Dobson this question, the, 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 the great starter of the focus on the family. I said, Dr. Dobson, what's hurting families more than anything else? And this is what he said. He said, I could talk in response to alcoholism, drug abuse, infidelity, and other common causes of divorce. But there is another cause that accounts for family breakups more than all these combined. It's the simple matter of overcommitment and the tyranny of the urgent. Husbands and wives who fill their lives with never-ending volumes of work are too exhausted to take walks together, to share those deeper feelings, to understand and meet each other's needs. They're even too worn out for a meaning, meaningful physical relationship because fatigue is destroying homes. Said so there's a sixth way to honor your wife. He said, share your heart. He said, share your heart. You realize this, folks. The Bible says this in Genesis 2 and 18. It said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helpmate. I never researched that word basically in the Hebrew. Now, by the way, folks, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew. That word, helpmate, actually comes from the little word 
Ezer. E-Z-E-R. And what it means, that word Ezer means rock or strength. God said, men, I'm going to give you a helpmate. And that's going to be the rock and the strength in your life. That's going to be the rock. We think it's somebody subservient. No, no, no. That's not what it means. It means that person literally is going to be the rock and the strength in your life. But in order for that to be a reality, you've got to share your heart. Now, listen to this, men. It's a proven fact. When men share their hearts, <laughs> it creates intimacy in the marriage. <laughs> and when men share their hearts, we all know what intimacy creates. So there are going to be thousands of men today going to go home and say, Honey, I want to share my heart. a seventh way. He said the seventh way that you honor your wife is be a gardener, be a guardian and gardener. Be a guardian and gardener. You know, you men and women that are in law enforcement, this is the responsibility of law enforcement, to pr protect and to serve. To protect and to serve. And to be honest with you, that's the responsibility of husbands is to protect and to serve. See, if you protect, that doesn't mean you're superior. You say, well, Pastor Benny, let me explain to you. Okay, go ahead. Men are, men are braver than women. Well, I would ask you this. If men are braver than women, when Jesus was on the cross, why did all the men cut tail and run, but the women stayed with him? Did you ever think about that? That's reality. I'm not saying they're braver. I'm saying this. Men and women have a different role. And the husband's to be the guardian of the home. See, Ephesians 5 and 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You say, well, I'm willing to die for my wife. You know what your wife needs to know? Not so much you're willing to die for, but you're willing to live for her. You're willing to live for her because her greatest need is security. You're the guardian of the home, but you're the gardener. You say, what does a gardener do? A gardener makes sure, I just put my garden out. Praise God, it rained. And I got home and I realized the rain. And I said, the okra's coming up. The squash is doing well. The zucchini's doing great. It's growing because we got the rain. Well, let me tell you something. It's the husband's responsibility to make sure the home is growing spiritually. It's the husband's responsibility. Folks, you hear me and you hear me clearly. We don't have a problem in America. The answer's not, the answer's not some political party. 
Get that out of your head. We don't have a problem in America that couldn't be solved if the men in America would assume the role that they should assume and become the men of God that they ought to become and lead their homes in the fashion in which they should. He said the eighth way, and I'm done. Use words wisely. Use words wisely. Proverbs 18 and 21 tells us that death and life's in the power of the tongue. And he began to, he gave some examples, folks. Me and this is what he said. He said, you need to say to her, I'm honored to be your husband. I'm never leaving you. I got the better end of the deal. I'm praying for you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know what he said in the book, and I believe, I believe? He said, we need to apologize in front of our children. We need to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me in front of our children. Because it's a facade to teach our children that they're going to go into a relationship and there'll never be any problems. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what I'm going to say. I'm almost done. God spoke words and created this world. God created the world. The rocks, the reels, the hoes, the hills, the birds, the bees, the flowers, and the trees. God created, spoke words and created this world. Words created a world. And folks, words can change your world. Words can change your world. I, I read this story. In 1960, when schools were being integrated and there was a lot of racial tensions, there was a teacher in Detroit, Michigan named Mrs. Benucci. Mrs. Benucci. And Mrs. Benucci said, with all this racial tension, she had a nine-year-old boy in her class. She said his name was Stephen Morris, and he was blind. And she said he never spoke, and the kids had no relationship with him, and she had great concern. And one day she got an idea. She got an idea. The class had a pet mouse, and they kept in a cage. And when no one was looking, she took the pet mouse, and she put it in the trash can. And then she pointed to the cage and said to the students, Students! Students! The mouse is out. And she said, when I said that, every student started jumping up on their desk. They were scared of the mouse. And she said, I got a plan. She said, here's what I want us to do. Everybody be quiet. She said, Stephen, you have great hearing. You can't see but you've got great hearing. We're going to get real, real quiet. And Steve, you listen close and tell us where the mouse is. All the students were on their trash cans. And Stephen listened close. And Stephen said, the mouse is in the trash can. And they went, and lo and behold, the mouse was in the trash can. And then she looked at him 
And she said, Stephen, you're a wonder. And from that day forward, he became Stevie Wonder. Let me tell you something, folks. Men, don't ever underestimate the power of words in a relationship. Death and life. You want to destroy your marriage, you can destroy it with your mouth. You want to give life to your marriage, you can give life to it with your mouth. There's a, there is a rule called the five-year rule. Get this, folks. It's the five-year rule, and it's rooted in scientific data. You got to get this. This is the five-year rule that's rooted in scientific data. That if you and your wife make a decision that divorce is not an option, whether we go through hell or high water, divorce is not an option. We're locking the door on divorce. It's a proven fact that if you make that commitment and follow through in it, five years later, you'll look back and say, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. You know, I thought about what could I what could I give? What could I give Barbara? I thought, what could be better than this? I took these eight things. You said, Brother Benny, are you hitting the mark on all eight of them? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, I'm not. But I want to try. It gives me something to strive for. Think about this, folks. When our country was founded... We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator. Well, the men who wrote that owned slaves. No, they, they wasn't hitting it, but they were giving them something to shoot for. They weren't hitting it, but they knew what was right, and they were giving themselves something to shoot for. And, and, are you hitting them all, Brother B? No, no, I'm not hitting them all. If Barbara's here, she'd say, he, not many of them. <laughs> but I'm going to sign this and give it to Barbara for Mother's Day. And I want to encourage you men to do the same thing. I want you to sign this and give it to your wife, probably your greatest gift. And say, honey, I, I, I'm not hitting them all. I'm like Pastor Benny. I'm not hitting them all. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to honor you. Because uh, that's what the Bible teaches and men, before you think, man, he's really been hard on us. Oh, wait. There's a message coming. Eight ways to honor your husband. <laughs> Probably a two-week series. <laughs> One of my heroes days gone by was a preacher named A.W. Tozer. You've probably heard me quote him a lot. Quote him a lot. And, 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 and this kind of discouraged me a little bit, but it shouldn't. Because understand this, folks. 
the best of men are men at best. And there's so much bad in the best of us, and there's so much good in the worst of us, it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. We're just humanity that need a Savior. You say, I'm looking to Pastor Benny. Oh, don't look to Pastor Benny. Don't look to any pastor. Look to the Lord. Just look to the Lord. We're just, we're, we're just humans. A.W. Tozer died. He was a great man of God, and his wife remarried again. And she married a man by the name of Leonard Odom. And they asked Miss Tozer, they said, are you happy? She said, I'm happier than I've ever been. You're happier than you've ever been in your second marriage? Yeah. She said, the reason why, she said, A.W. Tozer loved God. But she said, Leonard Odom loves me. And when I read that, I thought, it don't have to be either or. Our love for God should cause us to love our wives more. Our love for God, God pricks my heart about being better a husband because I'm so much need for improvement. God pricks my heart. When I get close to God, he pricks my heart about, you should be a better husband. Eight ways to honor your wife. I challenge you men to take that insert, sign it, present it to your wife on this special day. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then see, you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin. And I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make and thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.